Thank you uh, for that reading. Uh, let me just remember to turn that on. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be with you uh, here this morning. It's great to be able to, uh, to meet Christians uh, from different parts of our area. Uh, I'm sorry that my uh, wife and daughter can't be here today. Uh, Lucy's a bit under the weather, but it's great uh, to be able to share fellowship with different people, isn't it? And it's also great to be able to share fellowship with the prophets uh, from so long ago. Uh, sometimes the prophets kind of get a little bit of a, a bad rep, don't they? You know, I mean, you, you kind of expect it starting like he does. What misery is mine? He sounds like that kind of guy that you really don't want to turn up uh, to the party. Um, but I hope this morning uh, we'll see, as we look at Micah's prophecy, uh, some things that will encourage us in our faith as well, and see from his very different perspective uh, something of the grace of God towards us. I want you to imagine that you're a child again. And your mum gets, a, a, you, your mum has, has come into some money and gets a priceless uh, Ming vase for her birthday. Uh, she leaves the room, your dad's upstairs doing some work, and you pull out uh, your airfix plane, start zooming around madly, and inevitably, you end up knocking it over. Now, it doesn't break into a thousand pieces, it's just a little chipped in that corner, in that top corner, and you have to make a big decision. Are you going to turn it round and just hope that your mum doesn't spot it? I mean, if she doesn't spot it, you're in the clear. Or are you going to confess to your crimes? Are you going to admit to them and seek forgiveness for, from your mum? Now, it might be uh, that, that hiding it uh, is the best thing in the short term. But if she finds out, you're going to be in much worse trouble. Well, in a way, it was similar. It's similar for us and the wrongs we've done to God. We have ruined God's world. If God's world is a Ming vase, we've not just chipped it, we've smashed it into a thousand pieces. And like a naughty little boy, we often think, oh, well, we can hide it away. Maybe God won't notice. Maybe he'll just forgive us anyway. We don't come to God openly confessing our sin. And it was the same with the Jews in Micah's day. On a Sunday or for them a Saturday, they were all very prim and proper. But in the week, they were going miles away from God's plan for them. And so Micah writes in chapters 6 and 7 to convince them that they need to seek forgiveness from God. I know we only read chapter 7. We're going to look at 6 and 7 because Micah, the book, is structured into three bits, chapters 1 and 2. Three and five, six and seven. And in each, there's judgment and then grace. Judgment, then grace. And we'll see that in this chapter two, uh, these two chapters too. Uh, so Micah six to seven, we're going to see five reasons why the Jews had to seek forgiveness and why we have to seek forgiveness as well. Uh, since we uh, didn't get a chance to read it before, let me just briefly read uh, chapter six, verses one to five. Uh, I've got a new NIV, so there might be the odd word that's different. Uh, but do look down at yours as well. It says this, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the he hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. So he uses this very big, bombastic language. He's speaking to the hills as if they're a court. 
And the people he's bringing to that court are his own people, the people of Israel. In verse 3, he gets to the, the crux of the matter and says this, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. God rescued them from slavery. Was that wrong? He sent Mo- I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Was I wrong to give you good leaders? God asked them. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Don't you remember how I rescued you from all those kings in the olden days? Why would you turn against me, God says? I have been only good to you. And if that was true for the Israelites, it's even more true for us, isn't it? God became a man and lived a life of suffering for us. He died on a cross bearing the punishment which we deserve. He won us a place in his kingdom, sons and daughters of God forever. He has been faultless towards us. How? How can we think to push him to one side when he has been so good to us? So I've just realized that we went straight into the passage. The first point is seek forgiveness because God is faultless, verses 1 to 5. God has been absolutely faultless towards us. Have uh, you ever been in an argument, perhaps, with uh, your husband or your wife, and you've both done something wrong, uh, but there's this kind of standoff, uh, a bit of a game of chicken about who's going to say sorry first. Uh, and you think that they should really say sorry first because what they did was, was worse, and, and they think that you should say sorry first, and you're kind of in this standoff until someone uh, gives in. Well, with God, that standoff doesn't happen. He has been absolutely faultless towards us. In those days, he'd rescued Israel, he'd cared for them. In our day, he'd given us Jesus, rescued us from our sin. He's been completely faultless. So the first step must always be ours. We should be seeking forgiveness because we are the ones that are at fault. So we should seek forgiveness because God is faultless. And secondly, Uh, In this passage, we see that we should seek forgiveness because God is not bribed. Uh, Have a look at verses 6 to 7. Micah kind of takes up uh, the role of his audience and imagines what they might say when they hear this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? So they say, okay, God's angry with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do a burnt offering. Now, a, a burnt offering was a bit more extreme than most offerings. Uh, there were some offerings where you'd bring your uh, calf along, you'd kill it on the altar, and then you'd have a big party afterwards eating all the food. Uh, there were some offerings where you, you gave the calf, but then the priests went away and ate it. But a burnt offering, it was almost a waste. You, you just burnt uh, this creature to, the, to its absolute cinders completely destroying it. It was the greatest sacrifice. And so that's, that's what they're saying. Maybe God will be satisfied if I give up something and burn it. And then they start to get more extreme. Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 
no one had thousands of rams. This is hyperbole. It's going over the top. But maybe, maybe God will forgive me if I get thousands of rams to be destroyed. Or maybe uh, they carry on with 10,000 rivers of oil. Rivers isn't a, a real measurement. It's just going over the top. Maybe I could just get loads and loads of oil. Maybe that will please God. Or perhaps most extreme, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Maybe I should sacrifice my firstborn son uh, on the altar. Um, this is not referring, uh, if you know your Old Testament, uh, firstborns were often offered to God in a kind of, uh, they're yours, and then he gave them back. Uh, there was no, no child sacrifice. Unfortunately, at the time of Micah, child sacrifices did happen. God had never commanded it. Uh, but people did that because they thought, oh, well, if I do something that extreme, God must forgive me. And Micah says, well, that may impress your fake gods. It may impress your idols. But it doesn't impress the real God. God doesn't want some bombastic outward religious show. He wants you to change. Verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, To act justly. uh, The people at this time were unjustly uh, taking fields away uh, from uh, widows and orphans so that they could make their estates bigger. And so he says, act justly, do what's right. And not only doing things like that, but love mercy. Don't just not steal their fields, but actually be actively kind uh, to those people. Care for them. And finally, walk humbly with your God. That shows us this isn't legalism. Uh, It's not keeping God's laws uh, uh, to keep him happy. It's recognizing your humbleness, uh, your weakness, your guilt, but still bringing it before God. They don't do this. They don't obey God. They don't walk the way he wishes. But instead, they're trying to do these over-the-top religious rituals instead. Uh, I want you to uh, imagine that there is a a teacher, and she gets to the end of the year, and uh, two boys in her class bring her presents. Now, boy one um, has been an absolute nightmare the whole year through. He's constantly disobeying, getting detentions, swearing, all kinds of things. She's made her life a nightmare. But at the end of the year, he gives her a beautiful necklace. Uh, Not just one of those tacky knockoff ones that you might get from a market or something. A really good quality necklace. And then the other boy, he's been a paragon of virtue the whole year through. He's that boy who always sharpens the pencils for her. Uh, He always hands his homework in on time. He's never put a foot wrong, uh, but he gets her a pair of socks. Which do you think the teacher is going to prefer? Well, it doesn't matter uh, that that naughty boy brought brought that beautiful necklace. She would much prefer that he had been like the other one the whole year through. And it's the same with God. God isn't fooled. He isn't bribed when you do religious things. Often we think, well, God owes me. Of course he's going to forgive me. I went to church. I sang really loud. I put money in the collection plate. Uh, We often see this in our prayers, don't we? God, if you give me this thing, 
I'll go to church two times a week. I'll, uh, I'll help with the Sunday school, even though I really don't want to do that. I'll maybe give more. Give me stuff because I'm going to do stuff for you. But God isn't bribed. No, if he sees our sin, if he sees that we genuinely need to repent, then he isn't fooled by religious actions. Uh, being good on a Sunday doesn't make God ignore Monday to Saturday. And that's why we need to seek forgiveness. Uh, we can't just fool it with God. We can't just push it to one side and try and impress him uh, with some, some gifts, some over-the-top religious stuff. We need to seek forgiveness because God is not bright. So we've had two reasons to seek forgiveness now, because God is faultless, because God is not bribed. And now thirdly, we need to seek forgiveness because God is just. And we see that in verses 9 to 16 of chapter 6. Uh, there we see two ways that his justice comes across. Firstly, there's his justice in convicting. Uh, he's totally fair in punishing these people. Uh, I, I won't read everything there, but uh, in verses 10 to 11, uh, we get told about false weights uh, that are being used. Uh, what was happening is uh, if you went off to the shops uh, and bought your bag of grain, uh, you would buy perhaps a uh, I don't know, a kilo of grain. They didn't use that measurement. Uh, but they, in the bottom of the bag, they put a little weight. Uh, so as you put it on the scales, uh, the kilo of, of grain, it would come up. Oh, yes, it's a kilo. They take the uh, weight off and give it to you. And you perhaps only have 750 grams or something like that. And that way, they managed to make more money than they should have. That's what they were doing time and time again. And God punishes them for that. And that is, is wrong, isn't it? In verse 12, uh, it talks about how violent the rich people are, how much they are liars. Uh, and as we mentioned before, they were stealing land, they were lying, they were doing anything uh, to get their own way. And then verse 16 uh, mentions that they've observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. Uh, they were two particularly bad kings in the northern kingdom of Israel uh, who worshipped false gods. And that's probably what's being talked of here. Uh, so they are violent, they're liars, they're stealing, and they are idolaters. They've broken God's law time and time again. God's just to convict them. He's just. But he's not just just in convicting, he's also just in punishing. You see, with God, the punishment always fits the crime. So in verses 13 to 15, he describes the punishment uh, for those who've given false weights. And he says this. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. And he goes on to say that again in a number of different ways. They wanted stuff. And so God's punishment is, well, you're not going to get to have that stuff. You won't get to keep that stuff. The punishment fits the crime. Or for those people who've run after other gods, he says, Therefore, I will give you over to ruin. And your people to derision, you will bear the scorn of the nations. He says, you want other people's gods? Fine. You can become like the other nations. I won't protect you anymore. I'll, I'll just let you get invaded. The punishment fits the crime. We often think of the justice of God as a good thing, and it is a beautiful thing. But actually, it's also a scary thing, too. Imagine a criminal standing before a judge. He has committed murder. He knows he's committed murder. 
But uh, he's kind of hoping that he might have a dodgy judge that he can maybe slip a bribe to or a, a, a very unintelligent judge who might get uh, the decision wrong. But his lawyer comes to him and says, no, this judge is perfect. If you've murdered, he will convict you. He will know that you've done wrong. That isn't good news. And so it's the same with us. If we have fallen short of God's, God's word, God's law, his commands, which Jesus summarizes as, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we've fallen short of those things, God will justly condemn us and he will give us a punishment which fits our crime. If we've been unloving, we will not be loved. We will be rejected. And therefore, in the face of that fearsome judge, we need to seek forgiveness. Well, it all sounds very hopeless to this point. Uh, but our, our fourth reason to seek forgiveness is this. We should seek forgiveness because God is our hope. And we see that in chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Micah starts off very depressed, as we noted when we were starting. What misery is mine? He goes on about how he can't trust anyone. He says you can't trust your neighbor. You can't trust the woman who lies in your embrace, your wife. You can't trust your sons, your daughters, your daughter-in-laws. You can't trust anyone. Uh, in verses, uh, verse 7, he says that there's only one person he can trust in this terrible country that he's living in that's, that's utterly gone to the dogs. He says there's one person he can hope in, verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. He sees all the false hopes around him. There's no one he can have faith in except for one, except for God. Uh, I remember once uh, when I was younger, uh, we were on holiday in Portugal, and I had this, um, this crocodile, this inflatable crocodile, and I went out to sea, uh, and I was having a, a whale of a time, uh, and then uh, about, about um, half an hour later, my dad comes swimming up all of a fluster. And he's like, Tim, 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 you've got to come back. It's like, why? I'm, I'm fine. I'm having a good time. It's all good. He's like, have you seen how far away you are from the shore? I turned around and I was miles away. The, the, the shore was just a speck on the distance. I was halfway off to Algeria or wherever you'd end up. And so all of a sudden, I, I wasn't saying to my dad, oh, get lost, dad, I'm fine. I was desperate that he would, would drag me back to shore. And in the same way, Micah, when he looks at the society around him that's absolutely gone to the dogs, where people are just not trustworthy in any way, he realizes even more that he needs to trust in God. But Micah's sinned too. We've sinned too. Uh, what hope can there be? Well, in verses 8 to 9, uh, we see, it says this, Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Why? Well, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Micah's one hope is that God will please his cause. The only way to get off before the holy judge God is to have God as your lawyer. God being able to get you off. 
Now, Micah didn't know in full how that was going to happen. He just trusted that, that God would find a way to rescue him. But we know. We know that there is one who stands before the great uh, throne of God, pleading our case, our lawyer, Jesus Christ. He says in the book of 1 John that he is our advocate, our lawyer with the Father. He pleads our case. And the way that he gets us off is not ignoring justice. No, he's before the just God. He could come before the just God and say, I have paid the price for this one. They can be free. They can be forgiven. And so even though we are sinful, we have a hope with God that we can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. He can stand there and tell, tell God that our price has been paid. So that is a great reason to seek forgiveness. We can seek forgiveness because it's going to happen. God will let us off if we seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We don't need to hide. We don't need to pretend it hasn't happened. We can come openly and honestly recognizing our sin because God himself, God in human form, will plead our case. So God, uh, we can seek forgiveness because God is faultless, because God is not bright, because God is just, because God is our hope. And finally, we should seek forgiveness because God is faithful. Micah ends his book in verses 11 to 20 by showing that God will be faithful to his promises. The promises just build and build and build in this section. Uh, God has promised uh, in the Old Testament that the boundaries of Israel will expand. And, and Micah promises it again, uh, verse 11. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. All those things spoken of in the law, they'll come. Uh, in the book of Genesis, God promised to bring in the nations. And that's shown in verse 12. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria, the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The nations will come in. God's promised to judge those people who turn against him. And we see that in verse 13. Uh, the earth will become desolate as the result of their deeds. God promises to take them to a good and fertile land. And we see that in verse 14 as well. Uh, he even uses the same power that he used to rescue Israel from Egypt in verses 15 uh, to 17. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. But most amazingly, God's promise to forgive sins will be forgiven. Listen to verses 18 to 19, probably the most beautiful uh, words in the whole book of Micah. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isn't that a great promise? Our transgressions won't be remembered. They will be tossed into the sea. Think of those gangster films where they're trying to get rid of the evidence and so uh, they tie whatever the gun to a, to a weight and they throw it into the sea or into a river. Because no one's going to find that. Even, even today when you've got all the fancy technology, it's a tough job. But back then it was hopeless. If you went out into the middle of the Mediterranean and chucked something out, it was never coming back. 
And that's the picture Micah gives of your sin. If you seek forgiveness with God, it is picked up and thrown into the sea and gone forever. Why does God do that when we're so sinful? Well, verse 20 makes clear. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Micah has confidence that God will forgive sin because God promised it in the past to Abraham, Jacob. And we can have confidence because he promised it to Micah and all throughout the Bible. We can be certain. I don't know if any of you here are fans of Doctor Who or watched Doctor Who when, you know, the original uh, time. But in Doctor Who, uh, one of the things they always talk about is fixed points in time. Uh, And fixed points in time are events in history that even the doctor can't change. Uh, They just can't be changed. It's a a great way for them to get around the fact that he's got a time machine and could just do things again. But there's these fixed points in time that can't be changed. Well, in Bible terms, God's promises are fixed points in time. They cannot be changed. Even God himself cannot go back on them. Not because he isn't powerful, but because he's always true to himself. So if God has promised that your transgression will be thrown into the sea, that is a fixed point in time. It's an event that cannot be changed. And so that means we will, if we trust in Christ, be forgiven. We will be brought into a kingdom that will spread through the whole earth. All these wonderful promises will come true. We can have faith in them because of the promises made to Jacob, to Abraham, to Micah, and on into the New Testament. Because of God's promises, we can be firm. We can be sure that our sins are dealt with finally. That means that when we seek forgiveness, we can have complete assurance that we are forgiven. So there we go. Five great reasons to seek forgiveness. You should seek forgiveness because God is faultless. He's always been good to you. You should seek forgiveness because God is not bribed. He's not going to be, uh, be swayed by you doing religious things on a Sunday and then just carrying on through the week. You should seek forgiveness because God is just. He will justly punish you if you haven't got forgiveness. You should seek forgiveness because God is our hope. He will plead our case in the heavenly courts in Jesus. And you should seek forgiveness because God is faithful always keeping his promises to us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need this forgiveness. You are guilty before God. I don't say that as someone who is faultless, and none of us here are faultless too. Uh, It's a a mistake that a lot of people think, uh, which uh, says that Christians think that they're the good people that get into heaven. That is not the case at all. We are all guilty. But we have sought forgiveness from God and our sins have been thrown into the sea. They are absolutely dealt with. If you don't want to have to pay for the things you've done wrong, then you need to seek Jesus as the ultimate reason for you to be forgiven. But this passage was not aimed at people who didn't know God. It was aimed at those who claimed to do so. Friends, it's easy to look like a Christian on a Sunday, but actually in the week be going further and further away from him. 
For some of us, it's a complete double life. We claim to be Christians, but our actions show that really we are not. If that's the case for you, I urge you this morning, even though it might be embarrassing to admit it, to come out of darkness, to trust in Jesus Christ and have your sins taken away as you've been asked to do time and time again. But for most of us, we, we have genuinely sought God's forgiveness. Our sins have been thrown into the sea. And yet we have this continual battle, this continual fight where we keep falling time and time again, which is the normal Christian life. The solution, though, is the same. Turn back to God. Turn to the God who throws your sins into the sea. And you will be forgiven time and time again. Come to him asking forgiveness and accepting the forgiveness we have in Jesus. And if you do so, whether for the first time or for the 300,000th time, God will pardon your sin. He will forgive your transgression. He will not stay angry forever. He will delight to show you mercy. He will have compassion on you. He will tread all your sins underfoot. And he will hurl your iniquities into the depths of the sea. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promises in this passage. Thank you that Micah is clear and honest with us about how far away we are from you. And yet he also gives us that great hope. Father, we have fallen short in many ways. And yet we come to you once again, clinging to Jesus as the one who takes our sin away. Would you make each of us here uh, be constantly seeking your forgiveness, depending on Jesus, and having our sins thrown into the depths of the sea? We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We're going to end by singing, I think, How the Grace of God Amazes.